right, welcome everybody to the wake up call with Tiago Prem Singh. Nice to be here with y'all. I noticed some of y'all coming into the room on Instagram and want to let you know that uh, for the interview session today, in order to see both of us, uh, you'll have to go over to the link in my bio. So click the link in my bio on Instagram and that'll jump you over here so that you can see Navi and you can engage in the conversation with us. Um, and I'll say that throughout the, uh, those of you who've been watching this, you know, I say that throughout the show, just reminding you that if you want to see both guests, you've got to click the link in my bio, which will take you over to the YouTube page and you'll be able to leave comments and Navi will be able to see the comments. So will I, we can post them on the screen for everyone to see. So please do click the link in my bio and it'll bring you over to the live show so that you can engage. And the Instagram's kind of like the behind the scenes from my desk. So y'all can see like, you know, what, what I'm drinking and, uh, you know, how good my posture is or something like that. So before we get started and bring Navi on, want to thank our sponsors uh, for the show. Yeah, the link is in the bio. I know I see some people asking. It's right on there. It says 10 a.m. You just click it. It's very straightforward on Instagram. Um, and uh, to bring you right over. So I want to thank our sponsors. First of all, thank you so much to Minds Dye. Minds Dye makes hand-dyed fabrics. Um, she makes a lot of the stars that I wear. Uh, she's incredibly talented. You can check out Minds Dye on Instagram. You can also go to the Etsy store at Minds Dye. Also want to give a shout out to Seed Apparel. Uh, Seed Apparel makes sustainable clothing with hemp made here in Canada. And uh, they're a really socially responsible, environmentally, environmentally responsible company. And they've been on board sponsoring the podcast for years now. So shout out to Seed Apparel. And then uh, last, I want to give a big thank you to Shakti Jewelry, who's come on recently, uh, who's supporting the, the show, making some really... Um, cool adornments. I haven't received anything yet. I just have this one sword uh, that I'm always uh, rocking underneath here. So coming soon, stay tuned for that. And also uh, a friend in Texas recently reached out who's from, from Punjab and offered to do some calligraphy work for us. So really excited to get uh, that. And also big shout out to, I know Babe who's watching now, she left a comment here, is in Texas and they didn't have water for a couple days. So sending some love and prayers out to our peeps in Texas and uh, hope y'all are okay and that you're well and uh, thanks for being here. Good morning, babe. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Mike Hudson. And good morning, everyone on Instagram who's watching. Feel free to click the link in my bio and it'll bring you over to the live program where you can see Navi and you can also engage in the conversation. So I'm just going to bring up onto the screen what we're talking about today. And we'll do the theme music again just for fun. Uh, spirituality and activism with our guest Navi Gill or Navdeep Kaur, a uh, dear friend and beautiful human being. Super stoked that she's going to be here uh, today. So thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll get right into it. Feel free if you're watching on the YouTube channel to leave any comments or questions as we go and I'll bring them up onto the screen. And without further ado, let's uh, begin our conversation with Navi Gill. We gotta wait for all the lights like and the flash. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself that I could do that. Like I was showing it off to our daughter, like, look what dad made, isn't he? Like so technically advanced you know what she's going to learn in her lifetime this looks like cave people uh creating <laughs> things but for me it's super special so anyways good morning navi good to see you 
Good morning. I I personally love it. You know, I love the Flash. So good. You're down with the Flash. Always, always down with the Flash. Yeah. Well, I mean, we want to make we want to make this look and sound good as as best we can because you know the, we're living in a time where attention is a, a you know one of the most valuable resources, and we want to personally. I want to use uh, my platform and my voice to. Uh, amplify and elevate important topics and the voices of uh, people who I really admire and have things to say that are of benefit to the world. And you're one of them. And sometimes that requires, you know, a little flash to get the message out. <laughs> mm. So why don't why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about um, yourself and uh, then we can kind of get into where we want to go from there with the topic being spirituality and activism but we know from talking to each other that like we can go anywhere i sent you a, a form before we did this where i was like is there anywhere you don't want to go and you're like let's just see what happens and so here we are yeah yeah absolutely um first hi everyone who's watching um and good morning good evening afternoon wherever you are um Thanks, Diego Bram, for having me on here. You know, we've had so many fun conversations just one-on-one -on, -one on our lunches or our texts and or Instagram, whatever it is, over the course of time that we've gotten to know each other better. And I always feel like, damn, we should have recorded that and like, you know, Definitely. put it up because there's so many fruitful gems that come out of that and like mutual learning that happens, you know, and we'll get into talking about that. But for those of you that um, aren't familiar with my work, um, I am an Ayurveda practitioner, holistic wellness educator. Um, you know, I do a whole bunch of things, but the core of my work is really about um, reclaiming my ancestral medicine and giving access to that for BIPOC and really taking up space in um, wellness that has been predominantly um, white centered and uh, especially when it comes to indigenous medicines of other cultures. So I really want um, my own people to rediscover and reconnect to that way of healing, um, understanding of themselves, their bodies, and really help to support and heal the intergenerational trauma that we've dealt with. Um, you know, I don't know, just like deep ancestral work through the way of wellness. And it's an ongoing journey. I've been learning, teaching, practicing for a little over 10 years now. And I feel like I'm still in preschool <laughs> in many ways, but I've been real blessed to have a really great community and, um, you know, share my work all over, all over the world. And especially, like you said, thanks to technology, like it's reached places, um, especially this last year that I, I never expected. And it's growing and it's amazing to be able to do that. And uh, be that voice, you know, for, for my people, for my ancestors. And, um, it's, it's a great privilege and honor to do the work I do. I was on mute. Can you, can you, I was like, Oh, you're like, I don't think this is going to work. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, your journey into, I mean, it could be anything, but I would love to hear about 
like your your family and how you grew up when you talk about you know your relationship to some of these uh traditions i would love to hear a little bit and i'm sure everybody listening to would like to hear about like what was your upbringing like and how did you get interested in ayurveda um and then we can kind of explore like what that looks like today, you know, as you go into these wellness spaces, as you've described and the importance of, uh, you know, decolonizing wellness. I know that's something that you're really passionate about. And then we can get into like this commodification of ancestral wisdom and practices. I would just love to hear a little bit about your journey. Like how did you learn about um, Ayurveda and what, what was your uh, childhood like with your spiritual practice and that kind of thing. Just talk a bit about your roots. Yeah, my roots. Um, you know, it's uh, one of those things that when someone asks you and you have to like articulate those roots, it's one very like so deeply personal and intimate. And like when you're on the journey of rediscovering your roots and like I've been on this path of like just going back and looking at the potency of those roots and like really being like oh I thought I just had this this type of childhood or these type of experiences but like behind those like where do I come from and what is the significance of that I'm really going beyond like the the childhood experience of being a first generation um, Punjabi Sikh Canadian kid, which is like all uh, to me was very like surface, but I always felt like there's so much more behind there that I like not able to access the way that I want. So it's an interesting question when someone asks me that. Um, so to start, my parents are from Punjab, um, you know, bless the people right now, uh, whoever has been on the internet in the last like five months knows um, our people are there protesting for, um, you know, their liberation and food sovereignty and rights uh, over their land and farming. Um, so my parents and my grandparents, my ancestry is from Punjab. I was born in BC, lived here my whole life, um, you know, grew up in a pretty uh, I would say traditional Punjabi Sikh family um, in the sense that like my I'm the oldest of three daughters and really had to like straddle between my parents wanting to maintain their social cultural um, value system and like religion in the sense that like my both my grandparents were um, Amritari and that was um very deeply entrenched in their lives but there was like a disconnect between them and like how my parents lived as Punjabis and as Sikhs and then us you know there was not really that connection it was just something that I was like more witnessing and felt like it was like forced upon me without any like connection or understanding and I was I was and I am a very inquisitive person I need to get to the root hence why I think Ayurveda became my calling because it's always about getting to the root of something and then making an informed decision from there whereas like my parents you know um like many 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 uh, immigrant parents they 
had to assimilate to a certain degree. They had to think about survival and for them sitting down with their kids and explaining and storytelling and getting to the root of things and discovery. Like we just didn't have that privilege. You know what I mean? Like they were busy hustling and working and putting food on the table. And we pretty much just were you, you, I I laugh about this. My mom's like, what do you think you just raised yourself? And it's like, in a sense, yeah, we did because experiences that I really longed for of connection with my family and my lineage, I didn't necessarily get growing up, you know? And so I kind of just like most, uh, first generation kids, you kind of just go along and ride the wave. And a lot of people don't ever question their identity, um, or, or, seek to dig deeper but for me it was something that I always had so deep within my heart like in school you know I loved having like multicultural day and like all those things like I was so proud of of where I came from you know I would wear my Punjabi clothes to school just like on a regular day dance was dance and music was a huge part of how I connected to my culture um but it wasn't until way, way later in my life that I found that connection to, to Sikhi in the way that I have now where it's on my own terms, you know? Um, and you know, I, high school struggled a lot because there's suddenly you're expected to pick an identity. And I was like, well, I'm all of these things and I don't want to be confined to this box of being either the whitewashed brown girl or, or the just the brown girl who only hangs out with the brown friend. So I was constantly like pulled back and forth between all these different groups and not feeling like I really truly fit anywhere, but yet I fit everywhere at the same time because I truly was someone who was very um, open and into exploring things, exploring who I was. And my parents, as much as they were traditional and they wanted to maintain those like boundaries of what they thought it was to be a good Punjabi girl, um, they still gave me the flexibility and the, um, you know, leeway to, you know, like do things that other people that I grew up with weren't allowed to do, like simple shit, like wear makeup, cut my hair, dye my hair, go out with my friends. And like, I had to like really go through the ringer compared to my siblings, you know? Um, mm. But I I had the the privilege that a lot of other people that I grew up around didn't. And then I was also judged for that from them, mm-hmm. making me less Punjabi or less um, how they perceived as a Punjabi girl to be. And the funny thing is, is like, you know, I feel there's always these parts of our identity that are so sacred to us that no matter how much you try to explain to anyone and until someone's really willing to see you and go to that depth, they'll never get it. And I think I dealt with that for a very, very long time and still do where people have this one idea of like, oh, this is how you are. And they really hang on to that idea and it becomes who you are for them, but they don't see the multifaceted intersections of identity. And yeah, that's something that all my life it's been like, how do I fully show up and take up space and um, be seen and heard and accepted for all of those things? Not just because now you see me as a good person a Punjabi Sikh girl or now you see me as a good Canadian or whatever you see me as um, 
then I, then only I have value. Then you only want to hear what I have to say. So, you know, I always um, think back to one conversation we had where you said to me, like, you know, people forget that Guru Nanak was a rebel. And that really sparked something in me that was like, I have to remember that and not this idea of Sikhi that I was fed growing up where it's like very, first of all, patriarchal and very, um, you know, somber and like serious and, um, you know, proper confined within this box. And especially for women, like the way that you talk, the way that you dress, the way that you looked, we're already criticized for that. And then when you step into the identity of a sick woman, then suddenly it's like you have a million more restrictions and opinions on you from everywhere. And I just like sat with that and I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm Guru Nanak's daughter. Like, I don't need to fit within these confined things that other people want me to be a part of. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much I talked about my child because there's just like so much there. But I will say my journey into Ayurveda um, it's something that I've always been seeking my whole life. Like I was the kid I read religiously, like going to the library was my favorite activity. That was my jam. I would max out my library card and take my sisters and max her card out too. Um, there was like a limit of like, I don't know how many books, 25 books or 50 books. And I was always looking at like, plant medicine or herbs or, you know, witchcraft, whatever things that I could find of like, um, that were accessible to me about, about like this, this way of living and knowledge that was connected to like nature or spirituality. Um, I consumed that and, and I was always making things, always crafting things, but I just never knew that there was an actual word for it. Um, you know, and for many years when I, when I finished school, I was like, what the hell do I want to do? Like trying to discover through the lens of the Western world, which was like herbalism or, um, being a naturopathic doctor or like all these things that just didn't resonate. And then, you know, if anyone's listened to any of my other podcasts or read any interviews, you know, that like my journey started with like a really, um, great loss in my life. When I was 23 years old, I lost my Nanaji very suddenly and it completely rocked my entire world, but in a way where that grief took me to a rock bottom that I needed to go to in order to find purpose. And, you know, as horrible as that experience was, it was also the thing that that was the catalyst for me to step into self and I always look at it like he left me with this gift of finding purpose so it's like not only do I have to honor my ancestors and honor this work and honor this medicine but I have to honor him in everything that I do because it was a gift and 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 that's how I that's why it's so close for me and I have so much reverence and I the way that I do my work and the way I speak about it the way I carry myself everything is with that um you know thread that binds it together and um I went to India to you know we do last rites for for whoever is from from that land you know hopefully if you have the access we take them back home and we do prayers and and 
I found myself like on a very, what I thought random trip to the south of India with um, a couple of my aunts and my mom. And I was in an Ayurvedic spice farm. And I remember feeling this like electrified, energetic current like running through me of like remembering reconnection and I was like holy shit like this is what I've been looking for my whole life like this is what I want to do I have no idea how I'm gonna do it I have no idea what when I go back home if it even exists there and that was it like from there I, I just went on the journey of like trying to um with the access that's available to us out here like learn as much as i can immerse myself in the path and it came also from a um, necessity like i needed tools to be able to heal myself and to move through that grief um because i noticed that so much of my family the way they dealt with loss the way they dealt with anger grief all of those things it like just didn't resonate with me because to me it was like unprocessed things just creating sickness in them and it was mental emotional physical spiritual all of those things and i was just like if i lost such an important person and then over top of that i'm also not living in my purpose and in alignment it's like double the loss so it was like this like really deep need to find healing um at its at its core i love uh the way you landed that um you know this deep need to find healing and you answered the question very eloquently um you know because that's the thing is like i want people to in the short period of time as best we can really have a feel for like what inspires you to do the work that you do and that was a great intro. And it's so much more than just like, why don't you just tell people a little bit about yourself? But I know with a little, uh, just a little time, it'll come through because you're such a great speaker and I'm thankful for that. I'm just going to put a couple of uh, comments up on the screen. Uh, Javier said, very relatable, rediscovering ourselves by critically examining cultural boundaries, social norms, and exploring my identity as a Punjabi Sikh girl born in Canada. Thanks for sharing. So it's definitely resonating uh, with some of the people viewing and another one here from uh, Navin that says beautifully put about identity, such an inspiration. Thank you. So this is the beauty of this platform is it allows me, you know, to engage people in the conversation and, and have a lot of people, you know, feel seen and heard as best we can and still be able to have a conversation. I know we've been on Clubhouse a couple times and been like, sometimes I'm just like, what in the world is happening? <laughs> like people are shouting at <laughs> yeah. each other and, and, and usually for good reason. It's yeah, it's something else. I mean, I've also experienced really positive things as well. And I just wanted to take a moment and let anybody know who's tuning in um, on Instagram that you can click the link in my bio and it'll bring you over to the conversation with Navi. And if you see me while we're talking, like my eyes are kind of like looking off to the side, it's because I'm typing into the uh, phone, like link in bio. I'm, you know, I'm not like watching television or something while you're talking. Um, yeah, I love, I, I loved what you said about, I think it gives people a good you know, brief introduction, but a deep, brief introduction to who you are and what you do. Um, I guess what, let's just like get right into that. 
um, you know, you, you felt this calling to, uh, to heal and be healed, I guess. I mean, I'm using my, my own words, but to heal and be healed. And I think that's, you know, the Ayurvedic practitioner, that's what it's really about. Um, and so then you, you know, I know you did some study with Dr. Vasant Lad, and I know you were also in, in India and without, you know, going through your credentials so much, I think where we want to go with spirituality and activism is, you know, what was your experience entering into spaces where you wanted to learn about this or share about this where we live, I mean, we both live in the Vancouver area. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what were some of those experiences like for you? And how did that inspire you to get to where you are today? Mm. Or not inspire, uh, you can use different language. Like how, how did that, you know, could yeah, be a, a yeah. negative thing as well. I just want to put that out there. You know, for me, it was a the same feeling of always having to shrink in order to be seen and heard and essentially participate and take in the information that I wanted to because there was a like limited access like there is not as many teach like for me it's very important that a teacher is is a true master for me I am very particular about who I learn with and from. And I, my very first teacher um, was, was um, Dr. Jayshree Lambert. And she was an apprentice and learned with Dr. Ladd for many, many years. Um, and that's, that's how I, I learned about Dr. Ladd. And that program for me was so special because it was just meant to be the way that I came up like about discovering it, there was no access here in Vancouver in Canada for Ayurvedic learning at that time um, when I was seeking for it. And this was like this little precious, sweet, like summer intensive program that I did. And it was right at the time where um, I really needed it. And I was like about to be like, okay, well, if I can't go to California or I can't go to India and pay like $60,000 a year to learn, like, how am I going to do this? And I was in my early twenties at that time. Like, and my parents were like, I'm sorry, you want to do what? Like for them, it was like, it just didn't make sense. And then like financially, it was like a lot of hardship. So I, that, this is how I knew that I, it was purpose and I had to do it because every little bit that I was seeking, I would get like another crumb and I would like devour that. And then I would get like something else and I would devour that. And, and it was like, I kept getting fed down the path and that's how I created my own way of learning. But like when I entered into those spaces, quite honestly, it sucked because I was always the youngest and more often than not, I was the only brown face. And I felt like there's so many layers that I'm now looking at and like trying to unpack of like, why did I have to shrink myself in those environments? Like, why wasn't I taken seriously? Why wasn't I able to um, step into that room and take up that space? And it's because the way the space was catered, you know, in any industry or community there's there's people who will hold on so tightly to their positions of power 
um, and wellness is absolutely no different. Um, and, and we are under this like guise that like, oh, because, you know, I said this, like, just because we have good intentions, the wellness industry is not exempt from creating harm. And when you're young and you're seeking so deeply and you're moving through grief and everything's such a deeply personal spiritual experience, having discernment sometimes isn't the first thing that you look to because you want so deeply to find the thing that's going to pull you out of the shithole that you're feeling and find purpose, light, the ability to inhale and exhale again, you know, and, and I was really fortunate that I found such a blessed teacher, you know, and who became like a friend, like a, like a mentor, a grandma. Um, and, and we have been friends for many, many years and it was through her and, and one other, um, local practitioner who really welcomed me and they, they didn't have to, but they did. And, and I was ready to like, I came in there, you know, like the, the young blood who was like, let's, let's change this shit. Like, this is somehow we should do it. Like, this needs to be like this. And like, it, it, I'm sure it was really jarring for them because I'm coming from such a different space. And mind you, there was not a lot of Punjabi Sikh practitioners in this field, period. Maybe in India, maybe a lot older, maybe in other places in the world, but like here in this community, I felt like I had that unique perspective and like Ayurveda seemingly belonged to a certain group of people because of the origins. And I, again, felt like othered many times because I'm looking at it from a very different lens. Um, so my experience as much, I had to hold on to those like little nuggets of positivity of like having blessed teachers and having like one or two people who created a safe space for me but I always felt like I'm too big for these spaces and I have to like shrink it down and contain myself because this is the only way that I can get access to the knowledge that I so deeply want and the last few years um in many ways I've stopped giving a shit and I just like I do I always say I'm like I I'm stay in my lane and I mind my own business and then when I need to like I come out and say what I need to say, but it's, uh, I'm learning a different way of taking up space and being in community on my own terms where I'm not dependent on that community to give me validation that I'm worthy of practicing this. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm skilled or qualified. It's like, it is my purpose. Otherwise, if my gurus did not want me to do this work, those little nuggets that I was fed and the way this came about to be in my life never would have happened. So if anyone questions me or tries to question me or tries to like dismantle, um, you know, uh, I guess who I am and my purpose, I'm just like, how can you question the guru? Like you're a human being. Like I'm here living the purpose that was meant for me. Yeah, I love that.
I, uh, I shared this week uh, on the show, and if I noticed some people coming in on Instagram, if you uh, want to join the conversation and hear from Navi, just click the link in my bio and it'll bring you over. Um, I heard this story this week. There was a um, professor, a sick professor. Uh, I, I th might have sent you the link, but he was talking about uh, Buddhism mm -hmm. and Sikhism. It's an amazing talk. It was like one of those talks where like everything he said, I was like pausing it, writing it down. Like it was like blowing my mind. But one thing they were, he talked about, uh, about the Sikh movement, and it sort of relates to how you're feeling and describing where this like British like soldier arrives in Punjab and he comes across a Nahang Singh and he asks him, who's the king? Like, who's the, the Raj here? He wants to talk to the person in authority. And the Nahang says, a Kalpurk, like, and points to everything, you know, the intelligence that's in everything. And, and of course, this British soldier is like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, but really, like, who's the king? And, and the Nahang puts his spear in the dirt and says, I am. And the beautiful part of the story is that he would have asked any other uh, person around and they would have given the same answer. And that's the, the sovereignty piece I think that's so key it's like Absolutely. it's clear to you right that you have a, a destiny and a calling and you're living it out and people are going to challenge you in many different arenas and and part of your work is claiming the space and saying I know I'm here to do this work and so I'm going to do it yeah on my own terms and what I love is like just that word like sovereignty i don't think i've connected to it as much in my whole life as i have in the last like year or two where i'm in this journey of um really reclaiming um that space and and the knowing that i have the right to be sovereign um which can be a challenge when we're so interconnected and like when we see so many unjust things happening in the world and you're like well they're also sovereign beings how come they don't have the same access and privilege that i can sit here and say i have um and and the experiences that i have but this the sovereignty piece and what makes sikhi so special is that's what gives us that valor that conviction and that like ability to be the Sant and the Sabahi, you know, like we can be both the warrior and the saint and the scholar, all of those things, because we're not dependent on someone else to tell us our worth. And in a world where there's power structures and hierarchy in every freaking thing. And for many years, I was stuck in that because I felt like I needed the validation of of an elder, of somebody, somebody to just be like, you're worthy of doing this and this is your gift and, and this is your purpose and it's okay and I, I give you that. I had to tap into the spirit realm. And like it's my my ancestors, those elders had to like really push me because in the in this world, everyone was holding on to their own positions. They don't want the young blood to come in and change things and like do things differently and take up space because in an industry that's like relatively was untapped until very recently, you know, Ayurveda was not like yoga. It was pretty unknown and a lot of people didn't understand it or it like because it takes us a lot of dedication and commitment to study and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in, in that field, like, everyone's still trying to make it in a sense 
You know what I mean? And now with this influx of information and access to information, everybody becoming an Instagram expert after two weeks, I get it. I get when they've dedicated 25, 30 years of their life to study this and then someone comes in and is like, I want to do this after like a few courses. Like I get that now that I've studied it for 10 years and I see people doing that. I'm like, hell no, that's not how it works, you know, but, but that self sovereignty piece is the saving grace because anytime I feel, um, like extracted from, or I feel that sense of, losing my self-worth because it's not validated in certain ways that the world tells me it should be validated and then I'm worthy. I just look at it like I'm a self-sovereign woman and I have the, in every moment I have choice. It's not always the easy choice or the comfortable choice. Um, and sometimes it's not the safe choice, but I have choice and my gurus gave me that ability. Yes, I love it. I put myself on uh, mute when you're talking because like the whole time I'm like, yep, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and then we'll just <laughs> take over the airwaves. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it might be kind of cool to to do like a for instance, especially like, you know, with what you're talking about, like, you know, yeah. let's say somebody who's like a young Western uh, Caucasian person like comes and takes a workshop with you. I'm just I didn't have a plan to do this. So we're just kind of, let's see what yes. happens. Uh, they come me. and they take a workshop with you and they're like really, you know, moved and inspired by what you share. And so they sort of take that and then they like create some workshops of their own based on the material that you shared. And they don't have the same depth of experience that you have, um, you know, yeah. like, I, I'm not really sure what I'm asking. Like, or what, how do you first, let's say two things. Like, how do you feel about that? What do you, mm -hmm. and what do you do about that? Or, or like what advice would you give to somebody who's involved in, in that kind of behavior? Cause I mean, often I can't speak for everybody. Maybe some people have ill intentions, but I think mostly like, it's like an ignorance thing. Like, it's like, I don't even yeah. know what I'm doing, which doesn't mean it. I mean, it, it's still harmful, but it's just like mm -hmm. kind of blind. Uh, is that does that work? Did I give you enough to work uh, yeah, with? Yeah, there? absolutely. Abs oh, okay. you. I could talk about this for the next six hours because it's not <laughs> okay. even a okay. It's happened to me. It's happened okay. to me. It happens to me all the time, and it happens to other practitioners all the time. So I'll like take it back to before I move on to like, you know, the online world. I'll take it back to like even a workshop we need to like first scale it back again to the roots and understand that this is sacred wisdom and knowledge and medicine that belongs to you know india and it the people of india and the land of india and imperfect in the way that maybe the origins and how it it was um you know, uh, kept away from many people and um, how it was colonized by many people. Yes. But the the right to wellness and the right to the, the knowledge that's there, it comes from actual people. And when we remove that and create it into a, a commodity, 
we take the spirit out of it. When you take the spirit out of something, then it's very easy to just uh, consume it as you wish and like literally shit it out into whatever you feel like. And that is the issue with how the Western world consumes everything is there's a disconnect between the the spirit and and the medicine and the thing and the modality and when you come from the origin of there you have a different relationship you have a different relationship to the land to the elements to the people to the medicine and it resonates so differently in my spirit versus if i'm taking something else from a different culture and it's just a thing for me it's just a process or it's just a technique you know that's the difference is understanding that like when you do that you've removed the spirit out of something and i don't care if you have good intentions i always say first before you go to it's okay to experience like you know um one of my teachers always used to say you don't have to be italian to enjoy and have the right to eat pasta we can do that you know we have to look at this stuff in the sense like yes enjoy it and experience it that is the beauty of life but when you are going to take it and especially commodify it and and earn a living from it or earn social capital from it, you have to look at like, what is my intent here? And like all of these modalities, especially from the Eastern world, it's people think that they're so shiny and exotic and beautiful, not understanding the cost. Yes, they're easily accessible to the people in the West but they came at a deep cost, you know, because the people in India still don't have access. If you look at um, lower caste people or like people who are from different parts of India, they still don't have access to that wellness and that medicine. Yet we have people in North America making millions and billions of dollars a year off of this medicine. So it's like, is it the easy thing for you to do is just to grasp whatever's there versus it would be so much harder to look into your own origin story and your own lineage. People don't want to do the work to dig into that. Whereas people like myself, I didn't have access to Ayurveda growing up. I didn't know what the word was. I didn't even, you know, have the ability to like even have these conversations with people in my family and my elders because they didn't even experience it. You know, all the women that I was blessed to be raised by never knew what rest was. They weren't drinking turmeric lattes and ashwagandha and like doing sun salutations. No. So for me, it's like when you take up space in that place, that's not for you. Know that you're taking away space from someone else who should be there and whose um, purpose it is and and really be conscious about what your intent is for doing that. And the second part of that is everyone wants to be the expert and everyone wants to belong and do something and be good at something. And with this world of social media, it's so easy to take people's intellectual property, take their work, slightly change it a little bit and put it out into the world. And without having the actual skill and the embodiment, you know, it's a very dangerous thing and it is creating harm in the world. And 
I'll give you myself as an example. Even after studying as much as I have, which I feel like is never enough because it's so vast, I'm so weary about saying I do certain things or putting out certain work, putting out certain writing because um, I understand how deep this knowledge is and it would be so um, irresponsible to just put something together and be like, I'm the expert in this. And when, like, again, when you have deep connection to the origins, you have a different reverence for it. And I understand this knowledge is in no way mine. I'm not claiming to create Nubby's Ayurveda and Nubby's this. I'm just a vehicle for that knowledge to come through and communicate it to the people in the language and the way that the particular people who are going to connect to me will get it. And it's not that, you know, people always want to reinvent the wheel and act like they invented these modalities and these treatments. And that's what's so frustrating and why I'm very vocal about it. And a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you're just, you're just being a hater or you're just doing that because you couldn't do that. And it's like, exactly. I couldn't do that because of all the barriers that were placed in the way by whiteness to have control over something that wasn't theirs to control in the first place. And it becomes important as soon as it can um, earn either financial or social capital, suddenly everyone wants their hands on it. And again, then we remove the reverence and we remove the connection that is this is a deeply spiritual path and deeply spiritual medicine and my thing is everyone wants to jump to from like it's very different to know something at an intellectual level or even hear something than to make it into your practice and the practice being embodiment when you learn from a teacher who is embodied versus someone who has knowledge it's very different and everyone's going to look for the teacher at the level that they're at, at the vibrational frequency that you're at and you're seeking at, you're going to get that teacher. And unfortunately for most of the world, everyone's skimming on the surface because that is what's like rampant and available. For me, I always say like, even when I was a kid, I want depth in my relationships, in my work, in everything that I do. If there's not depth and I'm not at the roots I don't care for it and I've been really lucky that I've had the teachers that I feel like are the like the highest of the high that I could have on this earth right now and I have to just I just look at it like that like the more I embody this knowledge and this wisdom and this work and I stay connected um, to the ancestors I only get those people coming to me that understand that and see that and other teachers are going to have the people seeking what they're offering. And I'm not the, I'm not going to become now the gatekeeper in brown skin for Ayurveda or yoga or whatever it is. But when I see shit that I don't agree with and I think needs to be dismantled, I'm definitely going to speak about it because for too long, there was nobody bringing attention to these things and like, telling people that they need to be accountable. And sometimes that makes us the bad guy, but I care too much about 
like the first of all the wisdom but like my own journey it was not easy to to even get like those little bits of crumbs that i had and i'm still trying so desperately to to get in my life and i'll be damned if people are going to be deemed experts and like gain opportunity or gain whatever it is that they're gaining without that being acknowledged you know and and again i have the privilege to use my voice to speak about it so i do you know it's a part of the responsibility but i'm by no means the the expert or or whatever i just care very deeply yeah i think you i mean to go back to what you said about nonic like that to me is what nonic is about it's like this may not be comfortable to stand up against but i feel called to do it and for good reason and so i'm going to do it and you can tell from listening to you it's not about some sort of hierarchical like this belongs to me and you can't because that's the problem that that you're addressing is that people are approaching it from that place and that approach generally comes from the uh colonizer's mind or the systems of uh, oppression that we live in and experience and and i, I want to kind of keep going down that way but i'm just going to put a couple comments up from uh, vj he's a a good friend and a inspiring person as well a counselor and a sing and he says absolutely reconsumption commodification by the west and the lack of accountability to the keepers of the knowledge mm -hmm. thanks vj appreciate that and uh harvier Har harvier's lighting it up over here so i'm stoked about that the ego comes in the way and looks through the lens of exploitation that's another piece right the home uh, aspect and then they continue with there's a deep dis disconnect and some people in the west feel like they have a right to access it without understanding the deep significance and acknowledgement of teachings from uh, elders and then they corrected in another comment and said uh, knowledge holders instead of key and i think there's a, a lot of truth to that and um you know like I, I this is an interesting conversation for me to have because i i definitely experienced this from the other uh, side of the coin where it's like I get all kinds of resistance being a uh, sick who has uh, white skin and it's mostly from white people, to be honest, you know, like mm. when I've been in Punjab or when I'm around um, six or I'm in the Sangit, I mean, you know, there's been moments I'm not saying like, it's all perfect over here and not over there. But it, yeah. it's sort of like you'll get this from people or from Indian people who are not six. This also happens where it's like, oh, you can't wear uh, uh, the star because uh, you're white. You're that's not allowed. And then you say to them, like, what do you know about Khalsa? And generally, the people who are saying that they don't know anything yeah. about Khalsa at all. Like, it's like they haven't even heard the word. And yet there they are telling you what you can and can't do. And, I, and mm -hmm. I only want to bring that up, not to say like, oh, poor me, I've had struggles with this. I mean, I, I have so many incredible um, people in my life who face greater struggle and look what's happening in Punjab right now. And, and some of the interesting yeah. conversations I've had is like, I'm connected to that by faith. I'm not connected to that by my blood lineage. Like, and I experience mm -hmm. that, you know, like I live in a life where, you know, my family members may not uh, appreciate my commitment to Sikhi. They don't support yeah. me in that. So there's also that side of it. Like I'm not raised in a family that says, you know, you should keep your cash and you should wear a turban and you should be a good Sikh. I haven't experienced that at all. I've experienced the opposite. Why would you do that? 
I don't understand what's what's the what's the point. And I think like, you know, an interesting take from the lens of the sick and then relating it to Ayurveda and yoga and, and the decolonizing wellness, which we're talking about today, is like when uh, Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj says like, you know, when you become Khalsa to deal with the uh, caste system and the systems of otherness that were happening at that time, said, when you become Khalsa, I'm your uh, father and this is your mother and this is your lineage now you know and how powerful is that and it and it lives on today and the strength of that with the Khalsa and the Nahangs and all all of the people in India who are standing up and globally in the diaspora whether you're connected to it by faith or by lineage it's mostly by lineage you know like you know uh, there's a lot of western Sikhs who are silent about what's happening right now which is absurd but just for the sake of another for instance it's like you know what do we what do we do with that when we go okay well you're a part of the family now this is the calling of the tradition to say that if you if you make a decision to live in this way to take this on as your family this is now your lineage and then everybody you know has an opinion about whether or not you should be allowed to do that doesn't that go against the whole movement in the first place? And I'm in no way saying like six should be perfect and should be, you know, following their guru perfectly. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I think it's an interesting thing to look at because some people don't like the Kundalini yoga six. And then some people think there needs to be reform in the Punjabi, uh, Gurdwaras where there's corruption and everybody's sort of pointing a finger at somebody. And one of the, positive things I guess about the Kassan movement and the farmers protests is that there's a little more unity in all of these different sects you know mm -hmm. generally speaking because it's a life or death situation uh, but mm -hmm. I think it's kind of a fascinating thing to look at where it's like okay this is open to everyone and I guess kind of what Vijay said and what you're saying intention plays a major role in this um, but mm -hmm. it's so layered yeah. You know, that I, I don't even know what I'm asking. I'm just sort of sharing some thoughts and wonder what your thoughts are, because I'm really proud to be a Sikh. Like, I'm really committed to learning the language, not because I want people to say like, oh, look at that white guy who's learned to read Gurmukhi Punjabi, but because this really means a lot to me and I want to be able to, like when someone says, like our friend Javala, when somebody says like, oh, you that you can't do that, that's not allowed, or that wasn't written about until 150 years after the ninth guru, and he can say like, no, actually you're wrong, here's the mm -hmm. facts, and he can you know read the Persian, read the Gurmukhi, like I love that, that is so potent and powerful and i want to be able to do that and i want people to be able to be going like oh yeah you don't know anything you're just this white sing blah 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 but if i go deep into it, it's not for their validation but it's just so that i have the piece of of the study and the connection to the lineage but i also you know i can cut off the nonsense uh more efficiently <laughs> rather than mm -hmm. let it play on and be like Am I am I out of line here? Like I'm just trying to be a good sick or whatever it might be. So these yeah. are just some thoughts, and I would just be curious to hear your thoughts on that. All right. Um, okay. <laughs> lots it lots there. I know. Okay, so we'll first take it back to like I'm by no means the like a sick scholar or any of those things. To me, my Sikhi is in my spirit and I'm on my own journey 
of understanding what that means because many people also look at me to be like how can you say that you're a sick woman like you're tatted up you have piercings you don't even cover your head da 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 all those things and i go back to exactly what like that first thing i said was we have distorted and like really taken away from the the stories of our gurus and their uh, rebelliousness, their ability to break these social constructs and norms, their um, just just power and strength. And we want it to be like, it's this perfect, tidy little package. And to be a good sick, this is what you do. And people will be like, you need to follow Mariada like this and like that. And like, I just feel over time, we need to move also with the times and like so much is rooted in patriarchy and that's one thing like that that in itself you know uh i think deters many people from diving in uh to the path um i can speak for myself only as 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 a woman you know like i always felt like there wasn't space for me in my femininity in so many things because I was expected to be in this package. And if I don't, then I'm not a good sick, you know? And I, and I absolutely have the most love and respect for my sick sisters who have been really coming out in the last few years and like, taking up space in the world and being like sick women also look like this and act like this and pursue these different careers and show up in the world like this because until we see it it it's it's like it's not possible and and for me growing up I never saw it so then I just questioned my own identity like am I really a sick woman because I don't look like the way that I'm told when I go to the gurdwara or I'm told by uncles how I should be that's not me so does that still mean I'm a sick woman you know um and then in terms of like the the differences in the communities you know you as as someone in in a white body you still always have choice when we're born into into like the lineages that we are like someone who was born into Sikhi or born in a Punjabi family or whatever it is, I don't have a choice that tomorrow I'm going to decide that I'm something different because I will always look this way. You know what I mean? And for you, if tomorrow you decide you don't want to wear your dastad anymore and you want to shave and you want to whatever, you can go back to being a white man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas for sure. I think the 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 when people are frustrated with let's just say Western six or white six is because you're always in like this there. I'm not saying that people don't have the faith and shouldn't be able to, of course, that's what Sikhi was about was anybody from any walk of life could join the, the um, lineage and, and take Amrit and take that dedication and, and, and be a Sikh. But in the way that the world is now, when we see so much like, 
cultural appropriation and basically so many people cosplaying when it's convenient and picking and choosing elements of the culture and the um, uh, spiritual living and religion that's convenient for them. Whereas as someone who is a Punjabi Sikh uh, or a Sikh man or woman, like we are placed in a different level of scrutiny than you would be. Like if I said that I took Amrit and then I decided I didn't want to wear my Dastar anymore, I'm going to get criticized in a whole different way than you would be. And that's just the truth of the matter. Like you cannot separate the whiteness from like you, you know what I mean? Yeah. In that sense. Yeah, yeah. So you always have that. And that is what, what white privilege is is you yeah. always have that ability to make a different choice whereas a lot of people don't and i think for us it's like well i wish when i was younger i could have explored and been like oh i can have tattoos and like wear the star or not wear the star and still say that i'm a sick and no one would give me shit about it that wasn't even an option like you know so i Again, I'm not the gatekeeper for this. I'm not the expert. I look at like the more I know myself and the more I accept my multifaceted intersectional identity, the more compassion I have for other people. Like even when you and I first met, I was like, the fuck? Like you don't get to choose to be that and then you're that. But now when I've spent time with you, we've had conversations, we've talked about uncomfortable things and I have looked into my own biases because that's all I knew and that's all I was told about Sikhi and that's all I was told that this is what it is and if you don't fit within this and I started to dismantle those things and going back to like our gurus were not these one-pointed beings who were in these pristine like the way we look at them in their photos you know they mm -hmm. they were living very complex layered lives and they did so many incredible things within those things so who is anyone else to tell me how i am gonna live on this earth as a sick woman you know and then i have way more openness and way more compassion and way more um respect for someone like yourself and like you know, I, I always say that if someone has questioned me on it, I'm like, yo, this man is dedicating to learning Gurmukhi, learning how to read and write, like things that even so many of us don't know how to do and like never thought that like we should do it or can do it. So if, when you have the reverence and you've committed to it and you're not creating harm for others, who am I to say that you shouldn't do it? But it's always looking at that you will always have that privilege that we don't have and you will always be judged at a different level than we would be and we're definitely on the pathway for things to change and i this kasan movement has been the catalyst for so many things coming to the surface um and and breaking down and i'm so grateful for that and and that the sacrifices that our people have made in order for this to happen um and, and the future, I think, is going to look very different um, in, in, in how we pursue, pursue this path. And, you know, again, so many people who are doing, I always I, I tell Javala, like, it's, it's God's work to be able to um, revive those texts, to learn, to translate, to give people access. You know, there was such a, 
lack of access if you did not know how to read and write Gurmukhi? Like, how would you understand the text? How would you understand these things? And that was a big barrier and still is for someone like myself, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and then you have these people who are dedicating um, their life to, to providing that access. And we're all providing access in our own ways. Like for me, that's, like I said, through wellness and Ayurveda. And for someone else, it's language. For someone else, it's music. Someone else, it's poetry. Whatever it is. And that is our purpose. Uh, being sort of bridged between our deep ancestry and then like having the access and the privilege and the technology of, of now and the future. Yeah, I think you bring up some good points about facing the obstacles too. I mean, that's what the path is all about, right? To think like... Gurmukhi is born out of this movement to say, like, everybody needs to have access to these teachings, regardless of what caste they are. And, and, and you know, it, just to put it simply, and then mm -hmm. that carries on, but in a different form where it's like, oh, well, I'm having a hard time accessing the Gurmukhi fast forward hundreds of years. It's sort of like, okay, we still got this issue. And even with the whiteness piece, like, I feel like standing up against that and, and talking about spirituality and activism, like that's the calling of the sick. You know, like when I say like, it's not always about knowing so much who Guru Nanak is, it's knowing what, what Nanak is. And if you know what Nanak is, then it's like, yeah, I have a responsibility to stand up against that. And just because people aren't going like, hey, good job, you're, you're being a, such a great sick. Like that's, you're not, our gurus didn't get that. And the Sangit didn't get that. And so why would <laughs> yeah. you come along thinking that you, you'll get that, especially somebody who didn't, uh, you know, grow up seeing those struggles in, in the same way, you know, like, I mean, I've, yeah. I've mentioned you before, I'm friends with Baltej Singh. And I remember when I was a kid growing up, like hearing some of the racist comments from people that you would, you didn't really know they were racist, like it didn't show up, but you could hear even as a kid noticing this, like, Oh, well, why yeah. doesn't he just like cut his hair and take off his turban and just be like everybody else? That's the calling like of the RCMP. They just fit in and be. Yeah, normal. exactly. And thinking like even as a kid thinking like that doesn't seem right. Like it seems like whoever is good at the job should get the job. And then seeing like the amount of when I'm in the presence of somebody like that, what is inspiring about them is the steadiness of like everybody around me could be telling me that I'm wrong and that I'm bad and that I'm not allowed. Mm -hmm. And if I know who I am, I'm going to face mm -hmm. that. And the steadiness in facing that, like that to me is like what we're talking about here, you know, and to go yeah, like, Oh, I don't want to face it. Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and, and by the way, I'm not asking uh, for, you know, Please, Navi, will you give me permission to uh, to do this? I don't see it that way. I just am no. so interested in your perspective. You're on your own journey that I am witnessing. And like in so many ways, to be real, like seeing you do this in the last few years of going to the depths and, and you know, having so much reverence, it, it inspires me to do the same you know and it's but it, it tells me that like i might have thought that like this is all i could access and this is what was given to me so like this is just gonna be my path and this is gonna be my sikhi but again i'm like no i can choose 
to to go deeper and like you know I can choose to invest in learning Gurmukhi and I can invest in so many other things and it's my choice and I have access to that now and and I love that and I love you know knowing that like you you have community around you that one is going to check you cuz I know you get checked all the time cuz I've had <laughs> friends that I know that I've done it and I'm like oh shit like how are you going to come back with that one but you always come back with humility because you have such a respect for this path and that is when you're a seeker like that's a necessary thing and like knowing that our egos are going to get smashed up against the wall all the time and it comes back to what's my intent is it that i want to have this ego of being like a cool white sick man who like you know is like a rock star in a turban or is it that i really want depth in my life and 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 sikhi in in my life in that way and it's it's a constant um like i think flow like sometimes it is a part of us that that wants to belong to a certain identity and then that gets crushed and we go through our dark night of the soul which i know you have and i know a lot of us do and i feel like i go through it like every few weeks but like and then you come back to the essence like okay if all of this external shit goes away what do i want left in my core that's going to like keep me going and that is like purpose and in intent and and connection to that that divinity and that knowledge and that wisdom but we get so caught up because we're everything in the world tells us that we have to be externally validated to to be a good whatever it is you know what i mean i have to show social media that i'm a good so i have to do these things but i look at it like if tomorrow all this shit burns up and goes to hell which it is in many ways um what am i left with and and i'm i base my core values on that and that's why it's important for me whatever i do is with integrity it's with authenticity it's with truth and it is in alignment with who i am i don't fuck around and say something that i don't mean and do the opposite like my word is my word and that comes from the path yeah i'm i keep thinking about uh my bago right now while you're talking and this idea of like don't leave your post and i think mm. that's some of the things that come up like for those of you listening who don't know the story of my bago she's a, a sick woman and a saint in the tradition where you know all of these warriors leave their posts i think it's like 40 of them or something because they're outnumbered and she's not trained a, as a warrior per se and she dons a turban picks up a sword gets up, up on the horse and says let's go back to your post like don't abandon your guru and i think what we're talking about here is this idea of like you're going to feel outnumbered and the whiteness piece that you're saying is is like you you have a privilege to leave your post much easier well, when i say you i'm talking about myself or you know what white people and i think the challenge that comes up is like are you going to abandon your post because it's easier for you and like i face that on a regular basis i face that in my own home you know where it's like do you have to do that? Do you have to wear a turban? Do you have to wear your uh grow your beard? Do you think it's a good business choice to spend all of this time learning gurmukhi and talking to six? Like, do you think it's a good idea to lose a bunch of um, 
your voice online being shadow banned by uh, social media platforms for talking about the Kassan movement? Like, is this the best decision? And in a sense, that's saying like, can't you just leave your post? Like, just just yeah. leave it. And I, I feel like I'm this path of being a sick, which is a, a learner. What we're talking about is like learning to stand your ground. And when Guru yeah. Nanak said, like, I wear death like a cloak, like, that's really what it's talking about. It's like this fearlessness of facing um, all, look at all of the pain and, and that we have in this world. Look at all of the otherness, look at all the violence. And I mean, India is on center stage right now, and some people still are not paying attention or listening or um, using their voice. And you know, I'm just reminded talking to you about this of like how important it is to hold your post and everyone's going to have a unique relationship to the post as well. Like I've yeah. tried to step away from this because of out of convenience in my own life. And I'm sure you can relate to this in some of the practices that you do that maybe don't resonate with your uh, sick community. And we can go there um, after this where it's like, I've, I've tried to listen to that. Like, you know, my ego has tried to listen to that or out of convenience or whatever it is and been like, oh, I'm going to pull back a bit or because of my own pain or suffering. And every time I do that, it leads me back to, leads me back to the post. It's like my inner, my bugo is like, no, no, no. We're not just going to like step away because shit got hard. Like get back out there. And I look at, you know, some of the um, elders in Punjab who, are, you know, it's unbelievable the amount of resilience, you know, that they're standing with. And you think like, you want to be a part of this, man? Like this is your training. Step up because you're training right now. Like you're just in the comfort of like the barracks doing the, the exercises in, you know, like back in yeah. Florida or something like just coasting along here while the people who are out there on the battlefield are showing you how it's done. Are you are you going to keep going? You know? Yeah. yeah. So I wonder I, about like some of your experience with, cause I know, and, and you can, as always, you can decide to share what you want to share, but I know you've talked to, to me about some of the spiritual practices that you've, uh, 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 yeah, you are. Yeah. Did you catch um, what I said? The spiritual practices that I've done and like the I, I experience of trying to uh, relay that to to the other people in my community or so to speak. Yeah, like where people have been like, oh, you you, you can't do that or that's not, you know, a, oh, a sick doesn't do that or, you, you know, that's not allowed or that's not going to make any money or whatever it might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, first, I'll start by saying that I never felt a part of the sick community here ever. You know, I was like, I don't fit in here. I don't belong. I don't look the part, first of all, of what they would want <laughs> or, you know, and although that's changing now, but that took like many years of my life. I'm like, you know, growing up, there was absolutely no way that I felt like I could go and sit and have a conversation. And I still, when I step into sick centered spaces, I'm an observer, I'm, I'm taking it in, I'm learning. Um, rarely do I feel like, oh, let me like step in here and like speak on something because it's like not my place, I feel still. So I'm still on that like reconciliation journey. Um, 
But when I first started really heavily being in my spiritual path, for me, that was through um, the Vedic path. Learning yoga, learning meditation, learning pranayams, going into these ancient techniques through that pathway, which brought me immense amounts of healing, immense amounts of connection, immense amounts of liberation. And it shook me because I was like, I never received those things out of the Sikhi that I had access to. And here I am getting these things that I've longed for, that I hear other people and elders say that they do receive from Sikhi. And I'm like, but I never got that. And I went through the other way as like my, like I went around the cul-de-sac and deeper back into Sikhi through that experience. I don't think I was ready for that. I had to go through basically like uh, renovating and breaking down the house and like clearing out all the shit so that I even had enough expansion and enough longing to connect to my gurus, you know? I don't think that I even had that depth of longing before because I had an aversion to it because of what I was told and given because there was no space in it for me. So I thought um, when I first started and, and I would be talking to these people um, in my community and, and it, it, a lot of the time it came from men, to be honest, older men, they would be like, as a, daughter of six like how can you be doing yoga how can you be promoting this this is like basically blasphemy and my mind's like well i feel like most of y'all are just like at an intellectual level or an ego level so connected to your sikhi and you talk about all these texts or you or you talk about what it means to be a sick but if you can't live that and in your presence i don't feel that from you are you even embodying what you're saying at all? And I was just like, you know, when you have that realization when you're a kid and then suddenly you transition into adulthood and you realize that the adults you know actually don't know shit all, but all your life you think they know everything? Yes. I like had that on like a mass scale where I was like, wow, all y'all actually don't know anything. And here I am looking to you to give me validation but I'm here experiencing it. I'm here actually doing the work and going through the process of embodiment. And if it feels right for me and I feel like I'm a better person who is compassionate, I have empathy, I have awareness, I have energy, I have clarity, I have the deep desire and capacity to do immense amounts of seva in my community, why am I going to look to someone who's just holding on to the fact that they skim through the Guru Granth Sahib when they feel like it, telling me what to do. You know, I got yeah. a lot of shit like that all the time. And people would question my parents. They had to hear all sorts of shit from people of being like, oh, we heard your daughter is like off with this guru doing some sorts of crazy stuff and blah, blah, blah. But my parents are just like, this is the most our child has been connected and wanted to be at home and wanted to do these things i'm like i always tell them i'm like all i'm doing is like staying at home and doing meditation and yoga i could be out there partying my ass off like yeah so they were happy they're like whatever mm -hmm. it is we don't care as long as you're not out there doing the bad shit you know or what they thought 
but again, me being the rebel, I'm like, I do it all. You know what I mean? It's like, I'll meditate and I'll party, but like, I'm doing everything with the awareness. And it became a very pivotal part of my life, that spiritual journey. Like, you know, quit drinking when I was like 23. Like I was done with partying by then. All that stuff that like I thought was like a part of life that I always had a a lot of an aversion to really. And I learned all these techniques and practices. And now I'm coming to more of like a, uh, what's the word? Like a equanimous like balance of like both my <laughs> desires to be in the world and also be living a spiritual life is that I know what is my like non-negotiable things that like, I'm just like, no, I've committed to this way of life and this is what it is. And either you either you're with that or you're not. And if you're not peace, like my, my sovereignty and my, um, path is so important that like nothing can infiltrate that, you know? Um, but to, to (laughs) the community I feel is I've had the great privilege to create my own spirit family or not even create it to continually meet the people who I have a divine appointment with in this lifetime again. And I look to those people as, as my community to not only uplift me and um, provide me with the nourishment I need, but also to check me. So when other people that are not in that, I'm just like, okay, cool. Yeah. That's a big piece, like you talked about in the start of this conversation around lineage and who are you like being very conscious of who you're looking to for um, guidance and support. I mean, that's that's something that's been so valuable in our relationship is that we can be really real about our journey with each other and and just share. And we, I mean, it's not like we're talking every day, but it's just I don't have a ton of relationships like that where I can really mm-hmm. get real about the journey with somebody who can understand and then also having um people who have been uh you know on the path for a long time i mean i have a, a mentor who's in nahung who you know like the kundalini yoga world like chased him away they had like a whole campaign to like stop him from serving cannabis at the 3ho <laughs> gatherings and he was like it's right in the guru grand sahib like the gurus were using cannabis this has just been distorted and you want to chase me away and you know, whether you think that's right or wrong or someone listening to this thinks that's right or wrong isn't the point. It's more just like he's experienced that in many different worlds because other people don't really like the Nahangs. There are Punjabi folks who don't like the, the Nahangs or and maybe they don't even know the tradition that, you know, cannabis was being served in Harimandar Sahib in the 1800s. Like this is not... This isn't a made up thing that a bunch of people wanted to get high, just put together. But the fact that I have somebody that I can get on a call with and go, hey, look, you know, Mm -hmm. this is something that I've experienced. And the only reason I care is because I want to be compassionate and loving and also want to be a warrior and strong and be able to hold my ground. And if I didn't have lineage, like if I just like went to a kundalini yoga class and did what they told me, I would be super lost. If I just went to whatever yoga studio down the street because I wanted to learn about spirituality or or even just to exercise, I would be super lost. You know what I mean? It requires like a, a, a commitment to really like unearthing what this is all about. 
But again, that's also not the point. The point is about listening to what's inside of you and knowing that in doing that, if you have a sincere um, commitment to walk with integrity and compassion and devotion and all those things, there are going to be people placed in your path who are going to know about the experiences that you've had and can give yeah. you some tools to support you along the way. And if there's no lineage there, if there's no reverence there, if there's no understanding there, you know, you're going to feel lost. You're going to hurt people along the way. And it's just showing you that, you know, in a lot of these spaces, like you spoke of, if there isn't a connection to lineage, if there isn't a sincere desire to honor and to connect with the line and also at the same time stand in your sovereignty, then, you know, it just becomes this muddied, harmful m movement, you know, in, in some ways. Yeah. And if we want to touch on harmful movements, I mean, there's a whole nother show we can talk about going into the whole kundalini yoga movement you know which yeah. you have way more internal experience and knowledge about but that in this very moment is creating real harm and again when we talked about being able to pick and choose components of culture and of spirituality and of religion it's like that's a very big community that is still extracting a lot of resources and knowledge and distorting it for a certain purpose. Yet, where are those people with those very large platforms talking about what's happening right now? You 100%. don't get to pick and choose. Yeah. Because we don't get to pick and choose. Do you know what I mean? Like, I cannot separate being a Punjabi Sikh woman in this lifetime from what's happening there. There's no way. I have lost sleep for months and months and months and wake up every single day being like, holy shit, is this going to be the day where there's going to be like a civil war? And like yes, living through that trauma, whereas that community and a lot of people in that community, it's like, oh, well. I'm still going to just like do my thing and like I'm not actually really too affected by it because it's really not my people. You right. know what I mean? I get to pick and choose. I get to wear the outfit when I feel like it and when it's fun, but yeah. I'm not invested in the actual liberation of the people because it doesn't impact me the same way. And yeah. that type of harm and that is a dangerous type of harm because everything we talked about, like can also be flipped to the other side. You know what I mean? Someone being like, well, I have inner knowing. This is my calling and I'm doing the right thing. And the gurus would, uh, the gurus were rebellious. So they want me to do this. That who took those value systems and were like, well, we're allowed to do this because of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that uh, very yeah, for sure. value system that we talked about can also be distorted to create harm. And until yeah. there's accountability, I mean. That's also I, happened I through, just to jump in for a sec here, that's also happened through the history of uh, Sikhs as well, where people have come along and said like, oh yeah, yeah well, I'm now the the next guru or yeah. I'm the, we're doing it this way or or even the separation of the Dasam Grant from the Guru Granth Sahib. These are Absolutely. all things that have happened and people lost their lives for, for behaving yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the fact that the um, 
the community that we're talking about, it's so the way that wellness is a billion dollars a year um, entity and yeah. it's feeding into that and it's creating actual real harm through those like secretive, like insidious roots and web that is connected to other things like security for ice and blah, 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 blah. Like yeah, those yeah. things need to be addressed and dismantled because that is not the key. We yeah. stand against injustice. We stand against the oppressor. So to put on the appearance of a sick and then to contribute to harm, it just doesn't match. And it's like you get the you get the privilege and the benefits and financial capital, spiritual gain, um, social capital without being even touched because of that privilege mm -hmm. while contributing to harming people. And it's like, that's the type of shit that like makes people like me have a real fire under my ass. And it's yeah. like, again, I'm one person. And yeah, there's a few of my community who are wellness practitioners and yoga teachers who are Punjabi and sick that see that, but there's not that many of us even in this realm to be like, yo, like this is not okay. You know? So it's hard to like, I pick and choose my battles, but it's like, I, again, when in, injustice is injustice is injustice. And yes. you are either contributing uh, to being the oppressor by behaving that way. And I don't think it's uh, just or fair or right when it's still allowed to be carried on. Um, and there's no repercussions for that. No real repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, this is like, <laughs> this is a whole nother three. Hour I know. And, it, and, you know, I don't want to keep you, I don't want to keep you too long, but if you have a few more uh, minutes, we could, we could yeah, keep yeah. going or we could save it for another round. What do you, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like you're good. Okay. I'm let's go, good. let's go for another few minutes. And then, you know, if you're like, okay, I'm tapping out, we can always circle back and do this again. <laughs> I just want yeah. to uh, first say thank you so much, Navi. This is amazing. Um, I hope we can do lots of these. And I know a lot of people have been dropping comments in here. And I think we're just going to keep cooking along here. And if we can get to the comments, we will. But there's just so much here. I just wanted to honor you for your time and for your sharing. And thank everybody who's tuned in and watching as well. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, without talking about myself too much, uh, this, what you're talking about right now is such like a, mind fuck for me like it's like what do i do like it's like it's loaded you know, it's heavy it's super loaded and super heavy and what it is is like i found you know i struggled with uh substance abuse for a big part of my life and you know i found solace especially in sikhi um, which i discovered through kundalini yoga and I noticed in circles, including our centers that we had, there was this mentality. It's steeped in everything where people are like, oh, I just want to do the yoga. Don't tell me about the religious stuff. That's like the language. I'm not saying, you know, that's not me saying that. That's how people perceive anything sick, which is what the power of the practice is about, really. I mean, it's the Gurbani. But people are like, I don't want okay. that. It's nothing. It's you yeah. inhaling and exhaling and moving your body around. That's exercise. Yeah, Without exactly. Without the essence of Sikhi, it doesn't yeah. have power. Exactly, 100%. And I felt that the whole way, and I've just been like constantly like, 
okay, like I even gave a talk a couple summers ago to a room full of people who were resistant in a Gurdwara who were there to, pra to practice yoga and as well they had Gurdwara in the morning. And I was like, how many people have had a profound experiences with the mantras that they teach you here? And every hand is like, yeah. And it's like, so you bow your head to say thank you in the room like, really, you don't want to say thank you for that profound experience? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so what it's saying is that who, the people delivering this, these teachings are perpetuating this. They have to be. Otherwise, why is it, why is it being seen as like, oh, you don't have to say thank you. You can just pick and choose. And I think some of it, just to, you know, circle back here, I think some of it is like, Right out of the gate, you're expected to behave like uh, somebody who's been on the path of Sikhi for a long time. And what I mean by that is like, okay, uh, we want you to wear bana, we want you to wrap your head, we want you to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and do japji sab, we want you to, like, there's this list of things that we want you to do. And if you don't do those, you should feel guilty, you know, or, or something. It's underneath, it's passive aggressive, but it's in there. And for many people uh, who are six and on the path of, of Sikhi, this is something that it's like, this ha happens o over time. You know, for you to just be like, oh yeah, I do all the things. It, it's not about that. It's not about it's ticking the, the boxes. Exactly, you skip the process and then it fills it with all this guilt and resistance. And then that's the foundation of what's going on. And then there's the corruption from the older generation turning a blind eye to the abuse and all of that stuff. So it has this like, rotten core with a hint of Sikhi and the beauty of Sikhi. And then that's like portrayed out into the world. And then, you know, there's somebody like me going, I don't know what the hell I do with this. And at the start of COVID, uh, to be honest, I was like, I'm, I'm out, I'm done uh, because of all sorts of reasons with my, my pain, etc. And then as I started to get back, you know, I went back to the Gurmukhe, went back to Gurbani, I went back, I got to spend some time with the Nahangs and had some really inspiring experiences. Some part of me was like, dude, you don't get to just step away from this thing that is so tainted and rotten. Like you have to be a part of the healing process. And I'm not even really sure what that means. I don't think it's like, you know, we've got to make sure that we maintain the kundalini yoga it's not about that it's about like amplifying the sikhi and and revealing as best i can through my own example like what is the potency inside of this thing and then revealing the bullshit which is a huge fucking job especially when people who are involved in it don't care to be honest about it and it's like what do you do it's like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and i guess that's where faith comes in which through the whole process is like that's where the the magic is that's what it's about is the sikhi and the ignoring it and the changing it and the uh, all of that you know which is huge that's the part that needs to be dismantled and it's a massive job yeah well like the entire origins of that organization and movement and form of yoga comes from someone who created a lot of harm like that origin itself is rotten yeah and for many many times it was years it was disguised and that's when i look at it like that is not anything to do with sikhi that is something that was created in order to have control in order to you know whatever 
those things were. Like, again, I'm not the expert. It's not my community. I only know what I know. But mm -hmm. the reason that you have come back in a sense is because you went to the origin of, of, of Sikhi, which is like, as sovereign beings, our gurus have given us this knowledge and like, we're not looking to um, other people to be our masters and our teachers and tell us how to operate. We go back to the gurus. And mm -hmm. like, when you take out all that trash, you're going back to what is the truth. And like, so for me, yes, you might have learned about certain, uh, you know, things that are connected to Sikhi, but that wasn't Sikhi. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you might have learned about the word Sikhi and like maybe some some of the bot and some of the Kirtan or whatever, but that in itself is anything but. Do you know what I mean? So it's like Yeah, yeah, I feel you. It's like like I just wanna take it all and like wrap it up and like <laughs> get rid of it because it is not Sikhi. And and the fact that it has branded itself as that and is operating in the world as that, you know, it's so, it's not even like, it's so frustrating. It's so heartbreaking for people like me and, and others who, you know, like, it's like, I didn't get to just go online and purchase the, purchase my name for 40 bucks and call myself a core being able to be a core came because people give their heads you yeah. know in this lineage yeah. and it's it's so for me and i know and i know a lot of others it's like that pain is so deep and it's in our cells it's in our dna it's in our bones so when we see it operating in the world as just this thing like cosplay it's like, wow, wow, that exists. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I remember being, um, when I was like five years old and like, maybe even younger than that, my parents went to, you know, when you register your kid to go to kindergarten. And my parents at that moment made such an important choice where they put my name down as Navdeep Gargil. They could have shortened it. They could have changed. They could have taken the core out. And one thing my parents always did, even when I didn't feel connected to it for most of my life, and I always went by like Navi or just Navdi, but the leaving the core there for me, like I, I'm so grateful to them for doing that because they knew the value of that. They knew it was so important to them, even if I didn't get it at that point. And I look back on that. I'm like, it was just that one momentary decision that they made to be like, no, even though we're here and our kids are born here and they might have a hard time with it, we don't care. We know that this came at such a heavy price and the privilege that comes with that. And as simple as that, like I think about that, like if I went online and changed my name or whatever it is and like got that, it's different. But the it came, it came with the, with the sacrifices, you know, and, and I, we could talk about like Kundalini and all that stuff for like ever, but like, that's, you know, your role where you're at now from being someone who was in that community and a part of it and still connected to it in many ways is your labor and your journey is going to have to be to advocate for the rest of us 
and using your privilege and using your voice to um, be in discomfort, unfortunately, you know, like, yeah, you might not get your head chopped off physically, but it might happen socially. It might happen energetically. And to be in solidarity, like I always keep saying this, I read this somewhere and I think it might be from um, the pedagogy of the oppressed, but it was like, everyone wants to be an ally but to be in solidarity requires risk. Yeah. And that's where we want to be at. Like you don't get to pick and choose when it's convenient. If you want to be in solidarity with any community, not just my community or Sikhi or whatever it is, um, when we're in solidarity, that means I'm willing to put my head on the line because I believe in equity and I believe in collective liberation. And yeah. that's the role of folks such as yourself who have that privilege is I'm not going to be received the same way because that wasn't my community, but I want to, I want that community to be accountable, but -hmm. because you have your experience and your connections, you are able to use that privilege. You know what I mean? And it's going to suck and it has sucked. You shared your experiences with me and, and that is, I have so much compassion for you because I've gone through things and I've gone through my dark night of the soul in a sense with the community that I was a part of. And when it's so deeply entrenched into our spiritual journey and discovering who we are, and then we see the ugliness of it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it can very much plummet you back to that rock bottom. Yeah. In many ways, which, um, we've touched. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and the thing, whatever it is, our purpose, our, our grace, like that it's pulled us back up. Even if it's like a, by a millimeter, it's kept us from hitting that. Yeah. Um, and then we have to just keep climbing back up. But yeah, I, I, I have a lot of, uh, like love for you in, in, in what you've been through and, and your journey as well. And for always being honest with it and, and sharing it with me and, inspiring me to go and you know even if it's like you send me a sentence in Gurmukhi I'm like "Ah, I gotta go and like look at my little chart and like you know (laughs) today I'm gonna today I'm gonna do that and and it's it's yeah I I I see you in in that light also like I'm not just gonna be like you know you're just a white guy who gets to pick and choose what you want to do um that's there but I also see the other parts of you and I and and I admire that and thank you for that yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm reminded of the words of Guru Nanak who talks about, you know, if you want to be on this path, come to me with your head in your hand. And that's like, it's not a light thing. And I think that's kind of what I was touching on with the Kundalini yoga thing. It's like, it's, it's not as simple as, oh, okay, I'm going to try and tick the boxes. Like it's, it's deeper than that. And if it's not, then it, be, it becomes problematic. Um, and I think that's, really important to address and even around the name thing like i have a name that comes from 3ho and kundalini yoga you know <coughs> excuse me and when all this shit came up around yogi bhajan i was like uh i don't want this name but you know what and it's been quite a process actually to to mm-hmm. reflect on but here's the thing when i started doing this practice the number one thing that kept me held was japji sob the moment that i heard it i was like i don't know what this is 
but this is everything to me. And when you, if you wanted to hear it in Kundalini Yoga community, you had to go in Amrit Vela and hear it. Like that was the only way. It wasn't playing at 10 a.m. in the class. Like if you wanted to hear this one thing, like the gem of it all, you had to be there out of bed at 3.30 for someone who didn't know about it, right? I don't know what that is. I just heard it. I was like, there's something there. And so I kept connecting with Guru Nanak through Japji Saab. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm really enjoying this. I'm finding sobriety in the Kundalini Yoga community and it's really working for me. And so I put in the application to get the name, just like you're talking about, real cheap, send your money. Like I went through that process. Now, here's where the interesting thing around my name happens though, is that the, I bought myself a, a, like a tool for my birthday, it was on my birthday, uh, to help me learn Japji and help me learn Gurmukhi. And I was opening the package of this on my birthday at the same moment as the email with the name arrives. And I think, oh, that's sort of an interesting coincidence. And then that's not the end of the story there. Um, but I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I had another mentor whose daughter named her son after me. Um, and the son, when he was born, only lived for 10 days and then passed away. And there was this deep reverence for the name. And I keep thinking, oh, do, should I get rid of this name? And then I see all these. These are just little. I don't want to go on and on. But little experiences where it's like, you know, Tiag is to live in between the uh, spiritual and the um, material realm, which has been my experience, and sing. And, you know, I, I feel like, okay, if the guru wants me to have another name, that's fine. But I am a sing through and through. And when I hear that name and carrying that name, it inspires me to do the work that we're talking about today. Because if I go back to the other name, or as we say, like if, I, if it's like, oh, go back to the way that you, you know, your ancestors were, go back to your, it's like, you know, I, I was a very troubled youth. You know, a lot of people know that. And the work that I do around recovery and supporting people is because of Sikhi. And yeah. my connection to that name is because of Sikhi. And I'm not going to back away from that because yeah. it's it's connected to this um, sick thing. Because my past is connected to a sick thing with a relationship to addiction. And, and I've had the opportunity to speak recently to people like, you know, when I work with people in recovery, the structure that supports people to get sober, like I've got clients now, who a, a, a girl now who has not been sober for a few months in a row until now since she was 12 years old you know like there are people like that who are coming and it's the structure from Sikhi. it's like you get up in the morning uh it's about service it's about i don't say you know this is Sikh training and you have to learn it's not about that it's just the structure that supported me that i've learned from Sikhi. and if i yeah. if i throw any of it away because it's connected to um all the bullshit with 3ho and kundalini yoga I feel like I'm also going to be throwing away the part of me that has brought me healing and that is yeah. necessary for me to keep my post. And so I guess it's about like, okay, these are going to be uncomfortable conversations about why I choose to carry this name. And I'm okay with yeah. that because my gurus, that's the same, they dealt with the same thing yeah. and it will train me to be able to do that for other people, even if they're not sick. You know, whether yeah. they're Muslims or, you know, I also had another student who um, is a, a transgender woman and really felt at home with the Sikhi and the Gurmukhi. And 
they felt that if they went into a gurdwara to ask about this thing that was meaningful for them, that they would have been turned away or shunned or scoffed. I mean, not that they had that experience, but they felt like that. And I, w- mm-hmm. I was like, let's, you know, let's do a deep dive into this. And they found great healing in their life from Gurmukhi. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something there, you know, that needs to be carried on, but doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, celebrated by everybody. And we need to be honest about where some of my experiences came from, because I was in resistance, even with Dharma Temple, I was in resistance to 3HO and KRI and all that anyways. Like, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. No, don't tell me that. Don't tell me what to do. But I like the sick thing. And I even had people, as I said, in the community who were like, yeah, we don't really want to do the sick thing. And I'm like, that's that's a non-negotiable. That part has to stay, because without it, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. You know? there's there's just uh, like i said in our in our original uh when we were talking about having this conversation there's many things to dismantle many paths to go on many conversations to be had and i'm also on my own journey just like you are so i'm by no means the expert on any of this stuff it's just i have my lived experience and that's all I can do is speak for myself and and speak my truth. And if that resonates with people and inspires them to do the same, then great. Some people don't really like what I have to say or the way that I say it. And that's cool, too. I'm not for them. You know, one of my other teachers, Miriam Hasna, she says, I'm so glad I'm not for everybody. Right. And and I, I remind myself of that because sometimes this shit is hard and there's a lot of judgment and a lot of criticism and when we're already doing that to ourselves and then we're trying to do good and trying to make this world a less shitty place and then you get that same criticism and judgment a hundredfold from outside it is it is harmful and you know our whole we want we didn't touch as much on spirituality and activism so i'm just gonna close up by saying this um that especially in sikhi like they cannot be separate Because our goal is the reason we do these practices, the reason we do these, um, anything that we do is in order to have better discernment, more clarity, more energy, higher consciousness, so that we can stand against oppression, so we can create um, the world that we want to live in, so we can be sovereign. And yeah. if I'm not using those practices outside of my own um, consumption and doing shit just for me, it doesn't make sense to me anyways. That's how I look at it. My yoga, my wellness, my Ayurveda, everything has to be political. Everything is about activism because otherwise I don't see the point. You know, it's yeah. just like how much how much can you consume? How much can we eat? How much can we, you know, everything like we're not here to just eat shit and die and pay our bills. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. my belief is that yeah. if that's all this is like, oh, boy, like this is going to be a tough go. But yeah. if I'm taking these things and in some way shifting and like going to a higher level of consciousness myself and hopefully other people see that and want to do that in their own way through their own path that's bless then 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 there's a purpose for me to be here if i'm just going to be here post on instagram and not really do shit and like look the part and not do my own embodiment work then like 
cool. That's not going to be sustainable, you know? And, and, and <laughs> the spiritual path, like, I don't know, this is also, I feel like a whitewashed branding thing where spirituality is like all soft and glowy and like the light of Jesus Christ is going to come down and caress us. Like, no, <laughs> this, path, this shit is hard. That's why not everybody has the like guts to pursue it and if you do you realize like when you have that dark night of the soul or you have that awakening it's like nah it's not fun because you have to let go of the everything that we know and and the death of the ego and it just happens over and over and over and over like once Mm -hmm. you're awake you cannot go back to sleep you can Mm -hmm. but it's not pleasant you know well you can try you could try Yeah, you could try, we could try, you know, like my coach always says, like drugs and alcohol, like, let's just, but it's not going to work, you know, because Mm -hmm. you've already been awake. And, and that's where we're at is there's a, there's a deep discomfort and a deep suffering that also comes with this path to liberation. And it doesn't need to be that way. But that is, for me, always a part of it, because my ego always needs to get checked and 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 when i'm resisting and i'm not able to let go that is when that suffering comes but again going back to the embodiment going back to the practices going back to the knowledge and like yeah just i'll end by saying that like i believe that like activism is is our responsibility it is if we have any amount of privilege whether that is the way that we look, our, you know, finances or our voice or positions, whatever it is, whatever level of privilege you have, it is your responsibility to use that in the way that you best can to be an advocate for those that need it. And if you're not doing that, then, you know, and I will say not everyone is here to do that. I think there's also this like misconception that everyone is here for this collective liberation movement and to stand against things that are unjust. No, a lot of people are going to be cool coasting and doing their thing and that's their journey. But if you are using these practices and you are benefiting from things that are not from your um, path and even if they are from your path, it's your responsibility. That's the, that's the opportunity cost. You don't just get to come and eat for free. You got to put that on the line and it sometimes sucks, but that is how I look at it. And yeah, I love the shrug at the end. That was perfect. I mean that everything you just described there to me is like what a sick is. That's why I do this, right? It's not just sit and eat the longer. Like you said, it's not just sit and eat for free. That's a point. That's a point, a part of it, but you know, it's like, stand up, you might go to jail. You might be shunned. You might be, and you know, this is not, you don't, it's not about looking the part. That's what you're called to do is written on the inside of your brow, as Nanak said. So pay attention and listen to that and then show up, you know, mm-hmm. don't show up thinking it's going to be easy because it's not. No. You know? And it's I worth always it. say to my friends, I'm like, it's like being dragged to my death every day. And I have <laughs> so many tools at my disposal. You know, yes. so yeah. no one doesn't. I, I can imagine how scary and shitty it feels. For real. For real. Yeah. Well, Navi, I'm so grateful that we got to do this. And thank you so much. I just saw a lot of 
great comments. People were loving the conversation. So let's do it again sometime if you're open to it. I, I made this series of questions that I want to start asking people at the end of the show. So uh, maybe yep. we'll run through those and then we'll uh, call it. Sound good? Cool. Sounds good. Okay. So um, first question is f your favorite meal and why? Ooh, like a, a specific like food item or like breakfast? It's up to lunch. you. Like it could be some, a meal that's prepared by somebody. You have it somewhere. Like when I say meal, like you sit down to eat something that is just like really speaks deeply to who you are. Oh, uh, okay. I love eating food. Food to me is like a deeply spiritual experience. Like I, my Taurus side loves to indulge, but like I will say like when I'm in India having a cup of jaw, but like from the street side, which is like really, really spicy and gingery. And then like yeah. having some sort of like aloo parantha with dain, like that whole experience and i know people like that's so fucking cliche but like it it just like speaks to my heart in a different way and pasta like i could eat pasta till i die any sort of noodle pasta dish I'm like with I'm you on that we're the same we got to share yeah. we got to share some pasta together sometime yeah pasta yeah, ramen anything noodly i'm there for it but for me it's like the jaw like and it's warmth it's sweetness it's creaminess it's spiciness it's like it encompasses like all of those things that i love and take me home i love it um so we we had a contest to name this show and the winner was the wake up call with tiaga prem so the question yeah. is um you know in a in a sentence or two or three what does what does it mean to wake up when you hear those words what does it mean the wake up call Oh, the wake up call is uh, seeing truth, having discernment, and I see it as like this like sharp light and, you know, cuts through illusion like a sword. I love it. Okay. And what about, I know uh, like music is so huge for me and a lot of people who follow the work that I do. So do you have a top five, um, artists or musicians? Can you do it? Or you can go to three or. I love music to me. It's like the music and the food again. It's, I have music playing all day long. So I will say, let's see if we can do this. So Nasrit Fateh Ali Khan. Nice. Um, Nipsey Hussle. Love it. Bob Marley. Love it. Um, let me see. Like, I'm like, I feel like I want to, I don't want to like take up my last two just by saying, well, first, Gurbani. Like, yep. anything in Gurbani. Like, All right. We can I like it. Yeah. And, hmm. What else could I say? That's like my fifth one that I really. I'm not going to say artist, but I love um, like classical, like Indian classical for me, mm. like really takes me to a place where I can find deep peace. So Indian classical, I'll put that in there. Um, nice. And also hip hop, like sweet, both those things together. It's like, 
like I said, my personality is like not just one thing. So yeah. <laughs> I need I need hip hop to give that like vibrancy. I like how you had like some wide umbrellas and then some like leaders that fall into those categories. I think that's great. Yeah. And then the and then the last question is, if you could go any, I think I know how you're going to answer this, but I'm going to ask anyways. <laughs> if you could go anywhere in the world after this conversation, where would you go? Oh, India. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I knew that was coming. Awesome. And I've asked you to put together a couple songs that, uh, you know, that inspire you. And then I'll just put yeah. that up on our, uh, I'll just organize and put them in the Spotify. So anybody who's watching this can check out the music that inspires you. I think that's such a huge part of um, my life in so many ways. And I want to share that with the people uh, who watch yeah. and also, you know, get to learn a little bit more about the people who are on here. Um, if anybody watching here wants to learn more about Navi, you can find her on Instagram. It's Navigil Wellness, is it? Yep. And uh, navigillwellness.com is the website. And she's, uh, I've tried my best to send people your way. I know it's weird with COVID and stuff to, uh, to get treatments yeah. and to um, have consultations with you. And everyone comes back saying, oh my God, she's so amazing. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> duh, obviously. That's, that's why I recommended her. Um, so people can check out your work. And one thing I've been so inspired watching you do on social media is like when something important happens, like in the world, whether it's Black Lives Matter or the farmers protest, like you just are like, OK, I'm all in. This is what it's all about. And um, you're not apologetic about it. And you really use your platform. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with spiritual activism. And I think we need to explore it a little deeper because we covered so much like we just started to scrape yeah. the surface. But I uh, just want to encourage people to follow your work because it's so multi-layered, whether it's about wellness or whether it's about activism, spirituality. So please, everybody, uh, do follow Navi Gill on. Um, and I put your name, by the way, I put your name as that on the thing, just so people will remember where to find you. You're in my phone as Nav Deepcore, just so you know. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm cool. all of those things. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I'm, I have many names as well. So, all right, Navi. Well, I will just, uh, I'll just sort of say goodbye here. And if you want to just hold tight for a sec uh, as I close it down, I'll just check in with you and see how you're doing. Yeah. And then I'll say bye to everybody. So thanks again. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone who listened and stayed with us for the two hours. <laughs> yeah, I know we did well. I knew we would. I was like, an hour? Come on. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to uh, close this off here, and I'll see you in a sec. All right, everybody, thanks again for joining us. That was an incredible conversation. Um, we were just, like, moving along there, so I, I didn't get to get to all of the comments, but I think we'll do a part two. And if anybody has questions or comments for Navi um, or that you'd like to hear us talk about, we'll do that in the next episode. I, I think she'll be open for that, but I'll, I'll check. I'll double check. And uh, thanks for following the show. If you feel called to contribute in any way and you're watching live, you can always do that by clicking the button at the top. That just allows us to make sure that we can get this out to as many people as possible. And um, yeah, we'll be back on Tuesday at 10 a.m. live Pacific. And I appreciate everyone for being here. Harveer, Vijay, uh, Amber, Babe, Ali, Jeffrey, everybody else who uh, shared. There's so many uh, names to name. So thanks for being a part of the community. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Follow Navi. She's incredible. And uh, I'll see you all on Tuesday. Love you. Bless. Bless.